Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast, Season 2. I'm Casey Tiger, and I'm your host. I'm an author, pastor, and spiritual director. In the fall of 2007, I planted a garden. It was 25 by 17. It was a huge plot, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that it was spring, and it was time for something to grow. Sort of mirrored the journey we were having with bringing our daughter into the world. So I planted this garden, and we planted plants and seeds and watched it all happen. And we had the comically giant zucchini, and we had tomatoes out the ears, and all those things that you'd expect. And then late fall came, and we had to cut everything down. And there was a little bit of grief to that. Even in the winters, I stared out the back window at the garden, saw all the dead stalks standing. In her book, Catherine McNeil talks about these kinds of seasons. In her book, All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World, she talks about how rooting ourselves in the seasons, whether they're the winters that we dread or the springs that we welcome, especially here in Chicago, there is something good in God's abundance, even in the messiness. In this conversation, we get into all sorts of different things, the seasons being one of them, also the writing life and things of that nature. I believe through this conversation, you'll find Catherine to be a person who knows these seasons. She knows the life of living with your hands in the soil, whether it's of marriage or parenting or being part of a church or being a writer. She'll know the challenges that come with each season, the seasons that you might be experiencing right now. And so let me welcome you to this conversation with my friend, Catherine. Catherine, it is wonderful to have you uh, as a guest and have this conversation. Thank you, Casey. I'm very honored to be here today. I always, um, and I prepped you for this, and and I know I didn't give you enough time, and I never do. I think I like that aspect of people just sort of answering from the top of their souls about this. Um, but uh, the thing I always ask people on the show is, if you uh, were to define the word wisdom, where would you begin? Well, I... I do love that question. So even if this is off the top of my head, um, I'll enjoy I'll enjoy answering that off the top of my head. Um, the you know on on Facebook you can choose a little quote that stays at the top of your timeline, and I've chosen um, Psalm ninety verse twelve I think, which says, "Teach us to number our days rightly, that we may gain a heart of wisdom." And I think um, actually that entire concept is not to jump too quickly into the things I tend to write, but um, I think the whole concept of paying attention to our days, to our lives, um, to number them, uh, not necessarily numerically, but to be paying attention um, is where we gain the heart of wisdom. So I guess off the top of my head, I would define wisdom as the truth that we learn as we journey um, from God, um, but not necessarily something we can find in a book, something that we find along the, along the path. You are not the first person to talk about wisdom and attentiveness, which I love. I love it when I hear, when I hear multiple people saying the same mm. things about how paying attention and, uh, one guest who talked about wisdom having something to do with proximity, being close. Mm. 
Uh, all of these little pieces, I love when I hear that come together, but I love the practical that you just leaned into, that it, it may not be from a book, but it, that it's learned along the way. Uh, one of the pieces of your life that when I read a book jacket, um, it's a very intentional thing for what people include on there. And there's uh, a comment about you having an enormous garden. Yes. And gardens are just have been a touchstone for me. Uh, it started when my daughter was born and I was reading Wendell Berry and decided I need to plant a garden. Um, just inspiration struck. And so I did. Uh, how does your, how do you find wisdom in the, in the art and act and the compassion of raising vegetables and flowers? How, do, how does that bring, how does that bring you into a place where you, you learn some wisdom from the earth itself? Oh, well, I love that question. Um, I love that you mentioned the art and the act and the compassion of doing it. Um, I find that in gardening, and I have been gardening my whole life, I grew up in the country and I now live in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and there was a period of years where I was living in an apartment between living my childhood in the country and my current um, yard, which has an enormous garden. Um, and even then I was trying to grow tomatoes and cucumbers on my balcony with very little success. <laughs> but um, there's just something in the entire cycle of life being born in the spring to uh, just coming to full fruit in the middle of summer with that fruit being both um, beautiful and wonderful, the ripe tomatoes, the green cucumbers, but also the just overpowering weeds um, life of all varieties, just at full speed. Um, and then the decline. Um, and finally, there's this day uh, when we've gotten our first hard freeze and I wake up and I go outside and this smell just hits me. It's so beautiful. Um, it's this smell of life that has just recently frozen. It's a decaying smell, but it's so sweet. It, it feels sacred to me. And then we go into a period of dormancy. And then long months later, there's a thaw and we begin it all over again. And I've already lost track of your original question, Casey, because I'm so enamored <laughs> um, by the joys <laughs> that I find in gardening. But it's just, it's this nurturing of life. It's what we're doing over the course of our own lifespan, but it's it's down into this microcosm that we repeat every year. And I love the nurture. I love the new life. I love the fruits. I love the harvest. And then I learn to accept even what is sacred in the decline and in the end. It's uh, it, so the question was about wisdom and where you find it and you answered it. I kind of did. Even though, yeah, you did. But it's, it's also interesting to see how, the imagery of gardening and the imagery of seasons, which we'll talk about in a second, really does it does run somewhat counter to some teaching in contemporary Christianity, uh, because there is so much up and life and vibrant, uh, but there's not a lot of dead and decaying and dormant. Yes. Uh, Talk about how you how you how you stand between those two tensions, as a as a part of a church, as a writer, 
as a parent, as in all that you do, how do you hold those two? Like there's the new life and the springing forth and the harvesting, but there's also the freeze and the dormancy and the, and the cold of winter. Well, I think this is where we get back to that learning how to number our days rightly so that we can gain the heart of wisdom. Um, we are absolutely, especially I think in our time and place, our culture, um, definitely taught and pushed discipled even to want to keep that high going, that full speed ahead, that full life as long sustained as possible. But every single cycle of thriving involves this ebb and flow between um, life building and then life tapering off. Even our breath that we are participating in every moment we breathe in and then we breathe out. There, we can't possibly just constantly be breathing in um, every single day. We wake up and we have energy, but we have to sleep at night. And if we don't, we kill ourselves. Um, so every moment, every day, every year, there's these ebbs and flows of receiving life and then letting go into dormancy. And I don't see any instance in the whole world that God made where we can sustain the pushing forward without the falling back and, and survive and thrive. And so I think the wisdom comes from realizing this and not pushing against it, but embracing it, allowing there to be seasons that feel lifeless, for there to be days that are, we don't accomplish anything. Um, whether it's, you know, getting a bad cold and taking a sick day or scheduling a vacation or um, just accepting these, I, I say in my book, at times our no will be spoken for us, uh, whether we want it to or not. But these seasons will come. And I think uh, the wisdom that we need to cultivate is in realizing that there is no season of onrushing life without a willingness to accept the season of ebbing life, of dormancy, of sleep, of quiet. So I hear I hear a few different movements. There's a there's a receiving that happens. Mm -hmm. There's a this this has happened. I'm I'm just I'm opening myself up to the fact that the no has been said for me, or I have said it, or it's a natural progression of life. There's a responding that mm -hmm. take, what am I going to do in response mm -hmm. to this? And then there's somewhat of a of a welcoming or a not a not a welcome, but just a, a presence to be with that. So we use the phrase season a mm -hmm. lot to talk about all different things from from baseball to uh, a time in our life that we could describe with somewhat of a beginning and end. You know, there was a season in my life where I dot, dot, dot. And, uh, and I've heard some people, I, and I can hear some of my listeners actually kind of rolling their eyes like, oh man, this language again. Yes. Because it's almost, it's almost reached buzzword yes. status. Not quite. Um, but I, th I hear it more because I see more and more people drawn to a practice of the Christian faith that taps into the liturgical calendar and the church and the seasons of the church calendar, because it models that it models that dormancy, the ordinary time, the resurrection, 
you know, the, the grief before resurrection and the resurrection and new life and then Advent, that waiting. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems to model all of the seasons that we experience with whether it's the whether it's a pregnancy or whether it's a um, planting a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Or, and we all want we want to live in harvest. We don't want to live. And I think we in Illinois, maybe we should just you and I have a little bit of a commiseration on this. Okay. I feel like we understand it better than other people. Because our deep dark cold is a lot deeper, darker, colder than most other places. I, do you do you feel that same I way? I do, I do. I actually grew up in um, northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. So oh, when on. I first came here, I did feel like I was moving to the tropics, but that feeling <laughs> has worn off. <laughs> yes. Oh, see, I I grew up in the south. I grew up in West Virginia, so we had snow, but w- this whole. <laughs> The idea of wind chill. Right. I had no idea what people were talking about yeah. when we first started it should hearing about not, that. It should not put your life in jeopardy to walk to the car. But no. Here we are. <laughs> it shouldn't, winter should not hurt your right. face. It shouldn't, my face shouldn't hurt anyway. But all that to say, uh, your book, All Shall Be Well, uh, the quote on the cover, and some people may not know it's a quote, but the quote comes from St. Julian of Norwich. Um, just a luminary figure in, in Christian, and especially in Christian spirituality, yes. mystic spirituality. And she's saying this in the midst of having revelations after a very, very long illness. So I'm tying these two things together because we are, we are in a culture of people who have been taught that all shall be well as long as you have tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Talk about when you when you entered into this book and the writing process and talking about seasons and maintaining this idea that in God's economy, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well in every season. How did you hold that together personally as you wrote? Um, wow, that's a good question. You know, I don't, I think there's kind of two phases to our journey towards wisdom on this earth. One is to realize the way things are, and the other is to accept it. And I think I'm somewhere between the first and the second. I definitely have not achieved uh, that second level yet. I, I do love to open my eyes and allow God to open my eyes and strive to write and speak in a way that hopefully will open others' eyes to see uh, the realities of this world that God made and where he is present here. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily can accept these seasons of dormancy and death when they come into my own life. Um, not necessarily as I was writing, but just after I had finished, actually, I had sent in my last draft to my editor I went on vacation with my husband, a long planned, excited uh, vacation. It should have been, you know, like the summer celebration. And on the second day, I um, had a bizarre turn of events and gave myself a severe concussion and spent not only that vacation, but the next five months um, doing almost nothing. Um, unable to read, unable to process information very well. I couldn't drive. And um, someone who had read an early copy of my book uh, sent me a text message and said, I think you have written the book that you need to hear right now. And that really just echoed in my mind 
for a, a, a while, it's still today, I guess, um, that <clears throat> my conviction that God is present in the darkness as well as in the light, in death as well as in life, in the winter as well as in this beautiful uh, patch of tomatoes, is uh, it's an intellectual understanding that I'm committed to, but actually being asked to walk into it is so much harder. So I definitely do feel that tension, um, that tension like you say, and it definitely uh, enters into my personal life as well as my writing, um, very much so in this past year or two of actually writing it. Writing is such a personal thing. It's such a autobiographical every book I, I feel like every book is the collation of a life yes. it's stories that stories that hit us and we tell the parts of it that we feel like are are important and pertinent but there's so much more to it and we have lovely editors who say yeah this you may not need this or this doesn't contribute to the flow very well but all of it seems to fall into that to Julian's category of all of this will be well mm -hmm. But there is a time in between each of the seasons um, where you feel like you're moving from one place to another. And you talk in the book about Celtic spirituality, mm -hmm. which as soon as I see that, I will camp out there. My <laughs> wife and I were, were in Ireland in March and got to go to a place called Glendalough where St. Kevin, which cracks me up. There's a, there's a saint named St. <laughs> Kevin. It sounds like a guy that would be on your bowling team yes. or something, but... St. Kevin's uh, Arch Abbey and his, or not his Arch Abbey, but his, um, his church and some of the stories are located around that area. So I've been fascinated with the Celts, the way that they look at different, different theologies, different spiritual moves. You talk about anything that, for Celtic spirituality, there's something about transitions mm -hmm. that is sacred. T talk a little bit more about that, where that comes from. And what that maybe more so for you, as you think about the multiple seasons you write about and have been through, how do you identify with their belief about transition? Well, I definitely don't want to put myself out as a an expert on Celtic spirituality, but I have always been enamored um, or intrigued by their concept of the time between times and the uh, the betwixt in between that they believe that it at any intersection, whether it is two roads crossing each other or, um, you know, the equinox where we are moving from uh, the sun heading in one direction to heading in the next. Uh, of course, not scientifically, the sun is not moving. I understand that. But, um, or between day and night in the twilight hours, any intersection of two things, um, a doorway even, has a, a sacredness to it um, where it is full of possibility, where anything could happen. Um, birth, death, these are more, more intersections, more doorways. Um, so then the Celtic Christians who came after the more ancient Celts adopted this uh, cultural view and uh, believed that this was a place where God could uniquely meet us in these intersections and doorways, whether they were the physical places that we walked through or uh, the more spiritual places, the seasons or birth or death or a transition in life. Um, 
I love the idea of our lives being full of intersections. Of course, I believe that God is present with us wherever we are, um, whatever day or month or year, whatever it is that we're going through. But I love the idea of there being these spaces that are more permeable. I don't think that means that God is more present, but maybe our own hearts, our own minds have a softer soil. Um, maybe our eyes are a bit more open to see or our ears to hear. Um, and I do, I do write about the idea of twilight, that beautiful, beautiful hour where photographers want to take your romantic photos or um, people want to go for a walk. It's so beautiful. It's neither the heat of day nor the cold and dark of night. It's this magical time in between. And that is a, it's a, a moment that strikes me and I love how um, it was in a celebration of this transition from light to dark that God, that Jesus announced that he was the light of the world. So with transitions, especially as we, because we all live chronologically i would love to not i would love to live more in a circular way but we we only know what's what has happened and we can only guess at what's going to come um is it what do we do with the transitions that we those times in between that we didn't know at the time were times in between yeah but that we look back on and go oh i was i was stepping into Mm. that is there some sort of way of seeing that as a seeing it retroactively that that's some kind of sacred space. Cause I know what I know about people listening is there are probably some folks who are like, if I had known what I was about to step into, I think I would have prepared differently or thought differently. Hmm. So how, how do we deal with those when the transition period, the light to dark has already passed and we're in the dark? Hmm. Well, <laughs> um, Early on in this book, All Shall Be Well, I talk about how um, Paul says that we see now through a dark glass and someday we'll see face to face. I talk about how the ancient Hebrews were following God through the wilderness and it's incredible, unbelievable that they were following God physically, but all they could see was a cloud. Um, the very last words of this book, actually in the acknowledgments, um, I end the acknowledgments, um, or actually I begin the acknowledgments by saying, um, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way, which is uh, the words from a Fanny Crosby song. I think that uh, we are often thrust into darkness um, or perhaps we choose with unknowingly to thrust ourselves into darkness. Um, again, I, you know, going back to my garden, uh, it, there are so many months of the year where it's impossible to believe that anything is ever going to grow here. Um, but then six months later, it's impossible for me to even get all the work done of canning all the tomatoes and picking all the flowers. Um, I think that the longer we live, the, lo- the more seasons of darkness we survive, um, the more we gain that wisdom again to say, 
you know, I couldn't see God in this darkness the first 20 times, but I know he got me through and this time I can see just a sliver. And I think we help each other with that as well. Um, we can, when we can open up honestly to trusted friends, um, there's nothing worse than a cliche from a friend when you're struggling, but when we can actually hear the true raw testimony of someone who has survived, I think that can help us also. Um, but I do believe that God is present in the darkness every bit as much as in the light. I think that is the main message that I want to get through in this book is that not just in the beautiful, not just in the summer, not just in the sunshine, even in the darkness, even in the wilderness and the death, God is here. God is right here. That's, that pulls out, and you do this in, in All Shall Be Well, but also your previous book about, uh, about motherhood as a spiritual discipline mm-hmm. called Long Days of Small Things. We, uh, as humanity, I think, are really great at, we're, we're good at knowing our desire for the sacred and transcendent, but we are very poor at identifying when it's right in mm. front of us in ways that we didn't expect. And so I wonder, what is it that drew you to these small things like the little moves of motherhood or the little nuances of creation in the garden or in nature or in the transition between seasons? Because I know not everyone is attuned to, like some people aren't nature people. It's just not where mm-hmm. they not where they connect with God. I mean, they see something beautiful. It's like, wow, that's a sunset, but there's not like a divine moment that they have with that. What is it that drew you to these small yet revolutionary little pieces of divinity? Where, do you know where that began? Well, that's a great question. Do we have a couple of hours for me to just kind of sit here and reflect on my life and I can try to yeah, pinpoint that for you? Or? I, I typically don't do 30, <laughs> I typically don't do three hour, po- but for you, maybe we'll, we'll extend it just to give you a chance. Um, I'll let me do my, let me do my best shot in three minutes instead of three hours. Um, I, I know that at least to a degree it is because I am so bad at it that I have been thrust upon this practice like a wave on the shore. Um, I am a very, I'm an introvert. I'm a reflective person. I love nothing more than a quiet candlelit filled room with soft music playing. I could live in that place for a very long time, but my life um, is full of children and chaos and noise and work responsibilities and emails and I go outside and there are mosquitoes and wood ticks and dogs barking and there is just noise and chaos everywhere and my instinct is to push against that and say no take me back to that quiet place but I realize that all of these things that are bothering me are is literally the garden that God created. This is literally creation. Um, And it is our responsibility to steward this creation, whether it's our families or our our work responsibilities. Most of us aren't working in the field to create um, survival for our families anymore, cutting down trees and building a house. But we still are 
having to uh, interact with this chaotic, loud, um, high-stakes world every day in order to provide life for our families. And um, this is, it is life. It is obedience. It is blessing. It is, it is where the joy is. And so I think my constant preference to not be thrust out of the quiet, candlelit room and into the realities of chaos and crazy is what causes me to confront myself and say, you know what? God made babies. These babies are loud and they need a lot from me all the time. What is it that God made here that he's inviting me to? Um, what can I run towards instead of running away? God made this sun that is very bright and hurting my eyes and the gnats that are swirling in front of my ears. What is it that he has placed here that he's inviting me to that I can run towards instead of running away. So I don't know if that's where it began, but I think that's where, that's how I keep coming back to it. It keeps bothering me so much that I have to keep on, on uh, realizing that God is actually, this is where he's at. So when you, when you talk to people uh, about and maybe you've done some of this already, maybe as you've been processing the ideas that you've written about, about discovering God in the small things. Is there, uh, do you make the connection for them of, of how you do that if, if they are not, if they are attuned to, if they are, you know, the extroverted person who can't get enough of people and their attention is wildly scattered mm. all over the place and they, they don't enjoy the quiet. And is the, do you see a way forward for someone like that? And, and the reason I ask that is because all of us as writers are simultaneously asked to speak to so many different people. So true. <laughs> We're just all, we just need to be experts on, you know, everything. And that's fine. That's how you do it. Uh, but how would you guide someone towards that who may have a different um, disposition towards God active in the small things of the world? Um, that, that's, that's a really good question. I think, I think of my, what first came to my mind when you said this is my, my own husband who is an extrovert and is his uh, primary language of love and worship and most things is acts of service. And he's just always wanting to jump in with both hands and always be doing something and creating something and doing something and is not super interested in reflecting on it. Um, but even that, even though it's not maybe happening as much in his mind and heart as it is for me, um, in serving others, um, in doing these tasks, even those things are, are part of the little building blocks that all of life um, is made up from. Um, I, I wrote an article recently about daily bread and how so many of us want to be creating feasts that will be remembered for years to come, whether it's a sermon that we're writing or an article that we're writing or um, just something that we're doing with our family. We want to create a feast, but mostly what we need is a meal for today. And mostly I think the people that we're interacting with are needing a meal for today whether that's spiritually or emotionally or socially. So um, I think even when we're not grappling with these little things from a mind or a heart space, like 
an introvert or a writer would. I think we can grapple with them even with, with our hands, um, with our feet. If that, if that answers your question. Yeah. So when you sit down to write and when you sat down to write this book, what was the animating story that kept coming to mind? Was there a single image or what what was the muse or the inspiration for you? Uh, And I say that in full knowledge that a lot of times the process of writing a book that's geared towards Christian spirituality, the, the answer seems like, well, I should say the Holy spirit, Mm. or I should say something theologically astute, but the, the door is wide open. What's, what's the animating, what's the animating thing that brought you back to the computer, to the paper? every Hmm. day? Oh, another great question. I would love to sit and reflect on for hours. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, we started this conversation talking about my garden. I do think that there is something in the much shorter cycles of life and death that take place in the the natural world that God is offering to teach us through. It's going to take my entire lifespan if I'm if I'm given a full lifespan to learn these lessons um, in my own experience. Um, But I think I can begin to learn them by witnessing um, these much shorter lifespans of of life happening in my garden or in the forest. Um, And that really matters to me. It matters to me that we learn to pay attention to the things that God made and the truth that is there. And we, we are not very good at paying attention to that right now. You know, I'm sitting in a, in a room, in a house, the air conditioner is running. It is not clear to me if it's cold or hot or rainy or dry outside. I don't really need to know. Um, I'm going to go in my car to wherever it is that I need to be. It doesn't really matter the weather. Um, the food that I eat is going to come in a package from somewhere. We're just so cut off from how much a part of the earth we are. And um, so I think we are end up being cut off from the truth that God made um, and planted there for us. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is proclaiming the truth about him day and night. And I think the thing that keeps bringing me back to the page is wanting to, to learn how to pay attention to that. Even in this modern lifestyle where almost everything for my entire day and night is structured to keep me from noticing what's happening in the sky or what's happening on the ground. So it's, uh, when we're recording this, it's about, uh, it's about 10 minutes to three central standard time. So we've had a day already. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there something today that you've paid attention to that you've, you've noticed that has been one of those small moments of divinity you've been talking about? Hmm. Um, let's see. I just committed the cardinal sin to I asked you a yes or no oh, question, yeah. but I <laughs> know right. that you're going to take this and do something amazing. My it, answer so. is yes. Oh, <laughs> Um, 
Uh, let's see. I uh, am actually looking out the window at our compost bin. I hope I'm not talking about my garden too much, but it is right out the window. So, um, <laughs> all good, all good. <laughs> One of the opening stories of my of all shall be well um, took place on an Easter Sunday, uh, where my son was sick, so I had to stay home from Easter Sunday to be with him, and that was, you know, clearly disappointing. Um, but I read him an article that I found from N.T. Wright where N.T. Wright talks about um, how impossible it is for us to imagine a resurrected life, a resurrected earth, because currently all of life lives from death. It is the soil itself is death, but it is also the womb of new life. And this made a lot of sense to my son because every year or every day we take all of our kitchen scraps out, kitchen scraps out to our compost pile. And then once a year we find that they've turned into soil and we lay them on our garden and we plant seeds in it and new, new uh, vegetables come from that. And he looked at me and he said, a garden that grows without soil, a garden that grows without compost, that's what God is promising us is life that does not rely on death in order to exist. And he's just looked at me and he said, how could that be? And um, I think every day I think about that, every single day as I am living my very physical life, I reflect on that and I wonder how, how can that be? But not, not with despair, but with wonder. How can that be? And it ties us back to the, the big themes, the big stories of resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the, the changes, the Paschal cycle we celebrate every year at Easter. And you see it, and that's amazing, just seeing, seeing it in such small ways operating all around yeah. us. In the book, you talk about seasons and the there are practical um, connection points with the, each of the seasons from surrender uh, to trust to some of them are, they sound philosophical, but there's practical ways to do it. What do you, what do you feel like is the gift that people reading this will receive if they begin to take notice of those however they might define season, whether it's a change in their own life or whether it's literally the, now if they live in California or Arizona, these things don't happen. So (laughs) they get an exemption, but uh, the transition from summer to fall to winter Mm -hmm. to spring, especially from a spiritual perspective, but from a literal, practical, relational, psychological, mental, uh, I don't know about you. I I have some seasonal affective disorder things that happen in the winter that, is as much a mental and emotional challenge as spiritual. But if so, when people invest themselves in in noticing these seasons, what what do you imagine is the gift that they'll receive from that? Well, I uh, just earlier this week was listening to a documentary about a man who is a, a painter, an artist. And what he was saying that what is wonderful about art is that you can look at a painting that somehow is... Uh, portrays reality so perfectly or else so in such a convoluted way. So 
you know, those are obviously opposites. It's either a perfect match for what I see with my eyes or somehow it's upside down from reality. But in either case, it jars my senses into seeing the life that I'm living every day in a way that I couldn't see it before. And I think that is that struck me because I thought that is what I'm trying to do as a writer is I'm trying to portray the world that we're in every single day in such a way that the reader says, oh, I see the world around me in a way I didn't see it before, even though I'm looking at this same thing that I've seen every day. So I think that's what I'm hoping is the reward for the reader. Um, I, you know, the subtitle says awakening to God's presence in his messy, abundant world. So I certainly couldn't top that. <laughs> I would, the reward for the reader is I believe to awaken to God's presence here. Like I said earlier, not just in the beautiful summer days, but even in the days that are just drenched with despair. Um, but also I think to just have eyes that for at least a second are not distracted by the lists and the, the tasks, but able to see our, the reality that we're walking in every day, just jarred by art for a moment to say, oh, yes, I can see for a moment a little differently than I normally do. That's lovely. That's so good. Thank you. It's been good to talk with you. Thanks for thanks for writing the book. Thanks for the gift that it gives to everybody who's going to read it. Thank you for for gardening <laughs> and uh, growing things and and uh, letting that influence what you had to say. It's, I appreciate this conversation very much. Thank you, Casey. You've been great to talk to. You. Catherine McNeil is a writer and a speaker. She seeks to open eyes to God's creative, redemptive work in each day. She cares for three kids, two jobs, and one enormous garden. Her first book, Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline, was an ECPA finalist for new author. Her second book, All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World, releases on Tuesday, August 6th. I'd welcome you to buy a copy of that. Also, as always, I welcome you to buy a copy of my newest book, As I Recall, Discovering the Place of Memory in Our Spiritual Life. The price has actually gone down on Amazon, so there's a chance to save some money. If you're listening to this on my website and streaming, thank you. If you're listening through iTunes, thank you for that as well. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast, that would be really helpful. And so, may you get your hands dirty in the soil of life, whatever season you might be in today. Be well, my friends. Live wisely. Peace.